Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yes, hello, and welcome to Chapter 13 of the Dubious Book of Famous Deeds, the history podcast that looks at the world through the eyes of the Victorians, as told by a book from 1889 that I found in an alleyway, The Pictorial Treasury of Famous Men and Famous Deeds. The men are obscure, the deeds are questionable, the women are largely absent, but I am here to fill in the blanks. My name's Paul Bates. I'm your host. Thanks for joining. And this is our first episode of season two. We are starting off with a very fun episode. We'll be learning about Sir Edwin Landseer, Queen Victoria's favorite painter. I've got some wildly impressive artwork to show you, so head over to Famous.Deeds on Instagram to follow along, or check out the podcast's website at thesonarnetwork.com. As always, if you're listening to this podcast while driving, or operating complex machinery, or holding a knife, please don't look at your phone. Look at the pictures later after the podcast is over, or after you're done doing whatever you need to do. Okay. Joining me for this journey through art are two of my favorite people. Back in 2013, I had the privilege to work on a TV pilot called The Second City Project. Global TV made its greatest mistake not greenlighting that show because the cast assembled was in the top three funniest, if not the funniest ensemble I have ever worked with. And two friends from that cast are here with me now. You can see them all over your TV screens. Please welcome Marty Adams and Tim Baltz. Hello, gentlemen. Howdy. How you doing, Paul? I honored that we would at least be number three on that list. You know, the thing I love about that show is, Paul, half of the cast was Canadian, half American. The half that is American Super successful. Oh yeah! <laughs> hit shows, hit films. One of them's a writer for uh, for what uh, the Tonight Show, and then all the Canadians just doing fine, you know. Yeah, global TV. Good luck trying to round up half of that cast again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the cat, the half that deserves to be working. Us, you know, we just find ourselves in a late-stage capitalist society that rewards us for pressing on. So, who's this Edwin Lanceer? Oh, Marty, thank you for bringing it back to the topic. Thank you. Yes, Edwin Lanceer. That's who we're going to talk about today. So, this is Chapter 13. Wow, usually they leave those out of every book. So, that's a little spooky. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. A lot of conventions uh, just overlooked with this book. And now, Paul, I'm, I'm pulling up the email that you sent Marty and I um, to prepare us for the, the podcast. So it was uh, it was interrupt you anytime we have any kind of thought pop into our head, right? That's correct. Yeah, that's okay. correct. All right. 
Well, now on to Edwin Lanceer. Here we go, you guys. <laughs> Here comes my ADHD. Okay, yeah. let's start. <laughs> Chapter 13, Sir Edwin Lanceer. We are told the grandfather of Sir Edwin settled as a jeweler in London in the middle of the last century. And here... Wait, wait, wh- sorry, sorry, I gotta, I gotta okay, interrupt. Go ahead, Marty. Who gives... Can I swear? Yes. <laughs> Who gives a shit about this guy's fucking great-grandfather? <laughs> that he was a jeweler? What does this have to do with anything? Am I right, Tim? Like, really? Why? Marty, you read my mind. You read my mind. I, I mean... Probably three or four words into Paul reading that sentence. I was like, what the fuck are we talking about here? Are we talking about Edwin Landseer? Sir Edwin Landseer? Or some fucking jeweler in London a hundred years before? Who gives a shit? Anyway, Paul, back to... <laughs> yeah, sure. Back he mainly to the story. dabbled in brooches. Okay. Don't worry. That's the most we'll hear of his grandfather. <laughs> Thank God. Oh, good. Tell that guy's a real jerk. Okay. All right, we've only a just A jeweler? Begun. Great. Okay, so he was a jeweler in London, and it is said his father, Mr. John Landseer, was born in 1761. He was largely employed in engraving pictures. Do you guys know what that is, engraving pictures? I mean, I think. What? A, what? A, is my face covered in an emoji of some fucking idiot? Yeah, I think I know what that is. Okay, all right. Did the guy, did the guy uh, create things engraved? Is well, that what we're talking about? Before you could, you know, print things up or, or copy and paste an image into a book, people would make engravings on wood and then stamp that into the page to create the pictures in your book. Oh, so he was a stamper. He didn't engrave anything. He no, just no, no, stamps them. No, no, he's not the stamper. He was the one who carved the engraving into the wood. But, you know but I mean? the person who's doing the stamping is the one getting all the credit. They're like, oh, thank you, stamper. I appreciate this. <laughs> yeah, his dad was just some kind of idiot carver. He just whittled pictures. Well, hey, I you mean, want a picture? He just sits on a street corner. I feel, like, I feel like you're belittling a huge, long-forgotten industry. They're not around anymore. They're not going to come after me on my Instagram okay, that all I right. don't have. <laughs> yep, they're gone, but also forgotten. <laughs> well, not today. <laughs> not today. Jeez. We're bringing it back. So he was employed in engraving pictures for the leading publishers, including Macklin, who engaged him on the illustrations to his Bible. We're talking about Thomas Macklin, the British print seller and picture dealer, and his Bible was his life's work. He spent 11 years making one of the largest and most ambitious illustrated editions of the Bible ever produced. They are 19 inches by 16 inches in size, comes in seven volumes, and can be yours today for $7,500. Okay, hold on. First of all, you said it's his life's work, right? The yeah. guy worked on it for 11 years. <laughs> How long did he live? 17 years he started work. Matt, uh, you're good with math, Tim. When did he, if he died at, at 15 and he worked for 11 years, how, how early was he? did he start? Sounds like he was starting at four years old, Marty. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, well, let's say Thank it was the, it's the rest of his life's work. It took right up to his death. I don't think he lived to see the publication of his Bible. That's sad. Yeah, it is. That's awful. It's true. That's awful. A 15-year-old dies and they don't get to see their life's work? That's awful. (laughs) His grandfather's probably upset he didn't follow in his footsteps by just being a simple jeweler. You know? True. And you got... 
you know, can't see. He sees the fruit of his job every day. There's a ruby. Great. Yeah, there's an emerald. There's a little diamond. Huh? Polish up the oysters for lunch. Oops, another pearl. My life's work just keeps accumulating right before my eyes. And this poor guy, this poor guy making all these 19 by 16. I got something that's 19 by 16, if you know what I mean. I also have an annotated version of the Bible, is what I'm saying. But good. So, anyways, this is all building up to our introduction to Sir Edwin Landseer. Okay. All right, here we well, go. Wait, how come we don't find out about his like mother and stuff? Like you say, they just don't talk about women in this? Here we go. We're going to hear about his mom. This employment, the Bible, this employment led to his marriage with a Miss Pot, a great friend of the Macklins, and whose portrait as a peasant girl with a sheaf of corn upon her head was painted by Sir Thomas Lawrence. Okay, so I'm going to share a picture with you now. Here's the girl with the corn sheaf on her head. Gotcha, okay. So she was a friend of the family. Friend of the Macklin family. Jane Potts agreed to model for the portrait. John Landseer, the engraver, was over at Macklin's house because of their association. He meets the model, they hit it off, and that's Edwin Landseer's mom, Jane Potts. The issue of this marriage consisted of three daughters and also three sons. Thomas, born in or about the year 1795, Charles, born in 1799, and Edwin, the youngest, in 1802. So here's a self-portrait of Sir Edwin. <laughs> <laughs> This couldn't be better. Oh my For God. those of you who can't see it, it's a guy who's who's drawing with a really weird scarf and two dogs looking over his shoulder at what he's drawing. <laughs> also, he's got he's got a big bushy mustache, what appears to be a soul patch, but then a, a neck beard. Not a regular beard, but a neck beard. Yeah, those are almost uh, a pair of mutton chops that have, have reached down to meet each other at the very center of his face, below, far below his chin. <laughs> this and, guy looks like a sloppy Chicago improviser in like 2004. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, my favorite thing about this is that the dogs aren't looking at the viewer or even around, they're focused really intently on what he's drawing as though they're going to, I don't know, like they're supervising? I think they're judging. I think they're looking at it going, this guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so wait, is this, so this is him drawing his own self-portrait. That's how I view it. Oh. He's got this pad and he's drawing his own self-portrait. He's looking in the mirror and the dogs are looking at his self-portrait like, but that's not our owner. <laughs> Yeah, Arner looks like a real loser. Oh, no, wait. This is this guy just looks pathetic. You don't, on the dog on the left, you don't really see yes. his body. Those could almost be ghost dogs. Yeah, there this is. just got good. There is, there is a, like a Dante's Inferno uh, feel to this portrait where the, the dogs do seem to be coming up from the depths of hell to, to look at their master's drawing. <laughs> Haunted by dogs. Okay, so three daughters and also three sons. In actual fact, they had 14 kids, seven of whom Jesus. survived, and three of whom uh, were boys. They get named in this book, but daughters aren't mentioned. So have their kids died? Jeez. Uh, sorry to bring That's, it down uh, like that. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. Between, <laughs> between that and the... Uh, 
you know, like, I, you know, I'm engaged to a woman. Uh, my mom's a woman. My sister's a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all they're all great people that, uh, you know, I can't speak highly enough about. Mm-hmm. It is very bizarre to look back at these things and be like, yeah, yeah. And then there are uh, four women here and we're just not going to speak about these women at all. Uh, I'm engraving pictures, you know, and it seems like these three women are just literally doing all the work. Oh, <laughs> these probably. guys get to. 100%. Dress up and, and tailor their facial hair. So, I want to know how these people died. <laughs> what, the kids? <laughs> what? Yeah, what? This, this could turn into like a true crime podcast, you know No, what I mean? no, it's no mystery, uh, Marty. It's, they, they probably died of fevers. I bet you our old pal Edwin didn't like washing his hands. He liked touching his sisters in the face, you know? Probably, <laughs> probably touching a lot of dogs. Oh my god, well there you go. They bring disease back then. <laughs> So Marty has now put forth a couple hypotheses here that the parents killed off half their kids. That was the first thing he said. And the other was yes. that Edwin, with his dirty hands, was sticking it in his siblings' faces in order to kill them as well. <laughs> well, I mean, can you prove otherwise? It's a mystery that has not been solved or even thought of until just now. This is, this is a good one for unsolved mysteries. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right, we've we've made it. We've made it to the birth of Edwin. So here we go. The artistic education of Edwin Lancier was commenced at an early age under the eye of his father, who directed him to the study of nature herself and sent him constantly to Hampstead Heath, that's an ancient park in London, to make studies of donkeys, sheep, and goats. So learning to draw by studying animals. Uh, It is said that his father would critique his work, even at uh, this young age, assign him corrections, and that he would miss his dinner or bedtime until he completed his father's edits. The series of early drawings and etchings from his hand will serve to show how faithful and true an interpreter of nature the future academician was. For some of his efforts are dated as early as his eighth year, so that he is a standing of proof that precocity does not always imply subsequent failure. You ever heard that axiom before, that precocity does not always imply subsequent failure? A precocious child, I've never heard that thought that a precocious child implies failure. I like that. Yeah? I, I actually, I like that, yeah, because we, I feel like we grew up with, you know, like a lot of precocious youth, the gifted child, and and this like kind of myth of exceptionalism uh you know that if you're if you start at a a certain point then you're destined to do all this other thing and it just it it sets you up for i don't know disillusionment maybe or this idea that you have to be on a certain path and if you don't reach you know a goal on that path like you can't deviate from it and find other passions you know i I didn't have this kind of upbringing but if my dad had had made me miss dinner and and made me stay up super late until i finished you know editing and fixing whatever was assigned to me in terms of art which maybe i didn't even ask to start doing i think that would give me some issues further on down in life being a prodigy probably has that kind of upbringing instilled in it uh, in a lot of walks of life and that's probably a tough thing to live with that demanding of yourself You know, it's weird because my dad barely talked to me, uh, and and he didn't. He just liked sitting and watching TV. Yeah, you know, yeah. we barely chatted. Uh-huh. But now I think he's the greatest guy that ever lived because this, the opposite is these guys are like, no, you don't paint dogs good. Put more fur on their paws, dummy. Now don't have any more. 
you know, lamb shank or whatever the hell they ate back then. Turkey leg? I don't know. <laughs> you know, my dad was great now. I didn't think so, but now I do. All right. Oh. Now we're going to see the first drawing of Edwin's, all right, other than the self-portrait that he did that you saw. Okay. His first appearance as a painter dates from 1815, when at the age of 13, he exhibited two paintings at the Academy, Portrait of a Mule and Portraits of a Pointer, Bitch, and Puppy. That's his sketch. He did that when he was 13. That's pretty good. Okay, so that's the bitch and puppy. Yeah, that's the bitch <laughs> is the top, and then puppy is at the bottom. For those of you listening um, at home, it's two dogs, just their heads... One of them has a collar and, you know, some kind of, like, identification. The other does not. They both look super sad. So like they've sad. been sitting there forever while this guy sketched them. They look pissed. Wait, is there is there also a portrait of the donkey that he painted? The portrait of a donkey? Yeah, where's this mule one? I couldn't find the portrait of the mule. You know what? Oh. I don't know why, but when I was researching this, I felt personally cheated that I couldn't find every single painting that got mentioned in this book. Like, shouldn't all paintings be accessible via the internet now? They're old paintings. Yeah, you, you would think. Not from this loser. <laughs> like, really? Who's, who's, who's cataloging that in the internet? You know? You know what we need more of? Edwin Landseer's art. People don't want to see this, these two dog combos. They want to see the real goods. He's only 13 here. Imagine you saw a 13-year-old draw this, Marty. Would you just start telling him it was terrible? Probably. I'd yeah, tell him yeah. to name it something different, that's for sure. This is a problematic title. It's true. <laughs> uh, you know, we're using it in the technically correct uh, manner uh, for female. True. Uh, Although, I guess if I was 13, I'd, I'd get a nice little snicker out of uh, my dad saying, like, what do you name this? And I'd be like, bitchin' puppy. <laughs> <laughs> my dad would be like, oh. But you know what this picture needs? It needs some thought bubbles. You know, and the dogs. Okay, what the would the dogs thinking? What would the top dog be thinking, Marty? He'd be thinking, uh, "Who's this strange guy? Man, I'm gonna give him the plague." Because <laughs> that's how half his family died. Oh boy. <laughs> Now, we mentioned the Academy, just, to, just for our own edification. We're talking about the Royal yes. Academy of Arts, founded 1768. It's an independent, privately funded institution led by eminent artists and architects. Its purpose is to promote the creation, enjoyment, and appreciation of the visual arts through exhibitions, education, and debate. Still exists today. And if you see a painter online or in person and they have the words R.A. after their name, that means Royal Academician. So they brag about it? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's, you, a, there's only You don't see me putting SC after my name because I went to Second City. Well, uh, <laughs> no. No, but some people do. I, I feel like some people do put that. It's just like resume, bio, you know what I mean? And then it pisses off, you know, people like us because we're like, well, did you do a boat? Were you just <laughs> at the training center? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You move out to L.A. and people are like, I did Second City. It's like, yeah, you took two classes at SC Hollywood, buddy. <laughs> anyway, Ed, All right. Edwin Landseer. Edwin he Lanseer, paints this so bitch and puppy. Bitch and His puppy. career is off and running. Yeah, that's He's so 13. 13 years old. About the same time, too, we find him receiving regular instruction in art as a pupil in the studio 
of Hayden. Now, Marty, this is going to lead credence to your theory that Edwin Landseer is not a good painter, because we're <laughs> talking about Benjamin Hayden, the British historical painter, a man whose art Charles Dickens once described as, quote, quite marvelous in its badness. Whoa. Yeah. like he Charles really... Dickens never said a mean word of anybody. <laughs> Charles Dickens went to town on, he hated Hayden's work. Benjamin Hayden was uh, incompetent with his finances and too ambitious for his works to be profitable. He finally killed himself while facing imprisonment for his debts for the fifth time. First shot himself, but the bullet failed to kill him. He then finished the job by cutting his own throat. Oh, Jesus. Tough way to wow. go. Yeah. Uh, this guy... So this guy was kind of a uh, five-tool failure. He couldn't really get anything right. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, I couldn't have said it better myself. This guy sucks at everything, including ending it. Um, Doesn't he know? He could just take... You know what they do when you you go to jail? They take away your, your tie and your shoelaces. Just hitch together your shoelaces, pal. Tie them to a doorknob. Wrap around your neck, lean forward, boom! Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> I just, I just like Marty's giving this guy from the 1800s advice on how to kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> he could have used me. <laughs> Although it's got to be kind of intimidating to have Charles Dickens kind of come after you and call you a failure. You know, that'd be like if Obama listened to this podcast and was like, "These guys suck at comedy." And you'd be like, "Jesus, Obama." You know, the thing I don't get about this suicide, right? Okay. So he shoots himself with, I'm guessing, a flintlock pistol, you know? <laughs> That's a good guess. I don't know much about the firearms of those days. <laughs> okay. So he, his final words is like, I tried my best. And he fires, right? And it, he, he, he's holding it wrong. It goes into his shoulder. And he's like, oh, fuck. Fuck! He's like, oh, fuck! fuck. And he's running around looking for things to kill himself with because he can't handle the pain. And he finds a knife and he's like, ow, go, ow, He's trying to cut his own throat, but he's doing it right in the front part, which is so hard to cut. And then eventually, eventually he finds the jugulars. Because we don't know how long that took. I'm taking the over on five minutes. <laughs> I think the guy probably healed from the gunshot wound and had a nice, sad few months before he he regrouped. We're going to take a quick break. I could tell you what paintings or milestones in the life of Edwin Landseer we're going to hear about next, but really, it's mainly just more dunking on 19th century painters. It's going to be wonderful. So stick around. We'll return after this brief but necessary break. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back. A quick reminder, if you enjoy this podcast, to give it a nice rating or review if you can. You can review us on Apple Podcasts, rate us on Spotify, 
and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps the show find its audience. Okay, let's get back to the art of Edwin Landseer with Marty Adams and Tim Baltz. With the year 1818 commenced an important epoch in the life of Landseer, his Fighting Dogs Getting Wind excited an extraordinary amount of attention. This is uh, the painting. Wow. So he mostly does dogs. That's his thing. Edwin Landseer's, he's a dog artist. This is a picture of two dogs uh, fighting. Uh, Here's some contemporary criticism of this uh, painting. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. The gasping, the cavernous and redly stained mouths, the flaming eyes, the prostrate dogs, and his antagonists standing exultingly over him, the inveterate rage that superior strength inflames but cannot subdue, give a wonder producing vitality to the canvas. That's from the Examiner in the year 1818. People seem to really like it. I At first I thought these dogs were just roughhousing and playing, but I think this is literally a depiction of a dog fight, like, you know, where one is meant to kill the other. Yeah, there there is a demonic look in, in both of their eyes that would suggest that, that's for sure. You know, I think on this guy's tombstone, it's probably inscribed, the dude could sure draw a dog's wang. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Hang on, I gotta zoom in here. Can you see it? Yeah, I see it now. I've missed it before, and I've, Marty, I've looked at this picture a lot. I, I missed the wang. I always look for a dog's wang in pictures. It's the first thing I look for. I saw Marty's eyes bulge the second this uh, picture came up on the screen. I knew he was going right for the wang. Is that is that the same for all uh, paintings and depictions? Like, is there if like if a human was naked or an animal, any animal, would you always start with the wang and and you know circle out after that? Absolutely. Yeah, I got to see what their wang work is, uh, and if it's not up to my standards, I either look away or turn the page okay i think i think it might take on this is if this guy had an instagram account uh his the bio that he would write would be mostly pics of dogs because <laughs> <laughs> you know he'd be uploading these every single day yeah. thirsty as hell for likes but also, also he'd be he'd he'd do selfies of himself in the studio, and the hashtag would be like studio life. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, he would. Hashtag VSCO. Hashtag VSCO cam. Hashtag dogs. Uh, all right, let's continue. <laughs> that was Paul's best redirection yet. In 1822. He was fortunate enough to obtain the premium of 150 pounds for his celebrated picture, The Larder Invaded. Okay, I have an engraving of The Larder Invaded, Marty. You were asking, like, about engravings. There you go. That's what an engraving of a painting would look like. Somebody made a likeness of this painting. And in fact, this is what Edwin Landseer's brother made his living doing. Thomas Landseer became an engraver and made his living making engravings of Edwin's paintings. It's like when you buy a print of whatever you had up on your dorm wall. Thomas Landseer uh-huh. seems to be a lot like Frank Stallone. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like the brother of someone who did something really cool and he's just making a copy of it right. to make some cash. Right. We're looking at, a, by the way, a, I guess a whitish dog uh, uh, invading a larder. A, a larder being kind of like a pantry, I guess. Looks like there's a pheasant in there. There's some rabbits, uh, some onions. So the dog got into where they store their food. I'd never heard larder before, mm-hmm. um, but it seems like 
a term that probably would have been pretty functional in a lot of jokes, like, uh, well, someone invaded the larder, you know? And then, <laughs> like, uh, uh, methinks the larder has not gone uninvaded in our absence. Yeah. <laughs> the larder invaded was a painting that won him prize money, 150 pounds. What's it today? Yeah. Uh, that'd be the equivalent of 19,500 pounds today, or, you know, 40,000 bucks in uh, Canada. So that's pretty good. Wow. Yeah. That's not a bad haul. That's not bad. In 1824, he exhibited, also at the Royal Institution, the cat's paw. Marty, tell me what's happening in this picture. <laughs> oh, man. There's this jaunty monkey. It's wearing like a red sweater, I, can, I assume. And it's totally like big spooning a cat. <laughs> and this cat does not like this monkey. <laughs> it does not like being spooned. <laughs> He's really upset, and it looks like there's an oven close by, and maybe that monkey is holding that cat's paw close to the fire. Oh, it's burning the cat's hand. Wow. You know why? Because the monkey is his father, and the cat is uh, is the, oh, you know, no. the guy we're talking oh, about. Oh, no, is Edwin. It's a metaphor. It's a wild left turn from his previous stuff. Paul, I think you're right. There was something going on in his life for him to take this much of a left turn out of his normal, you know... Mm-hmm dog brand yeah he probably had his heart broken yep. by a woman we'll never know about he did have i'll get into this later on but he went through some bouts of heartbreak i see it in his art uh all right oh i'm excited to show you this painting in the following season was shown at the academy his hunting of chevy chase <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> How did he know about him? <laughs> Sounds like a Bill Murray fan. <laughs> the hunting of Chevy Chase, you guys. Not just the plot of the film Memoirs of an Invisible Man, but a very famous painting. <laughs> it is based on the ballad, The Hunting of Chevy Chase, the story of a hunting party led by Percy, the English Earl of Northumberland, on a parcel of hunting land, otherwise known as a chase, in the Scottish Cheviot Hills, Chevy for short. In the ballad, the Scottish Earl Douglas has forbidden such hunts and interprets this one as an invasion of Scotland, triggering a bloody battle from which only 110 people survived. So this is what we're seeing here, is the aftermath of the battle on Chevy Chase. This ballad is also the origin of the stage name for one Cornelius Crane Chase, a 14th generation New Yorker and original cast member of Saturday Night Live. He was thus nicknamed by his grandmother because she is a descendant of Clan Douglas, the Scottish clan portrayed in the song, as well as, among other things, the family responsible for orchestrating the Black Dinner Massacre, which inspired the Red Wedding episode in George R.R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones series. My God, there's so much to unpack. Yeah. But can I ask something? Like, imagine if today's people, like, say I'm a great-grandfather, and I name my great-grandkid, like, a nickname, and it's based off of something that happened back in my lineage, right? Mm -hmm. And the only interesting things that happened to me was when I was a kid, I shit my pants at Marineland. So what am I going to call the kid? Like, 
Marine Land guy, you know? Like, <laughs> no, but I'm serious. <laughs> Why is <laughs> Why are people naming things after <laughs> events in someone's life? Like, who cares? Move on. You know, it's a famous story, Marty. I, I mean, I'm not saying that yours isn't. I'm not saying that lots of people are going to sing songs about the time you shit your pants in Marine Land, but, but that, that's why it's a ballad. And you know, maybe if when you have grandkids, you know, maybe you will say, "Hey, Marine Land guy, come over here and bring your pop pop another cortado." Well, it sounds like it's going to take about 14 generations, Marty, for someone to be like, pop, 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 pop. He shit his pants at Marineland. Tim, you want to describe what's happening in this painting for the people listening? I mean, it, it's a bloody massacre. It's kind of a, a mess. There's a lot of kind of indistinct shapes. Uh, it appears that there are a lot of like horses that have died. There's some elk or reindeer that are butchered in there, dogs. There's women tending to dying men. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a monk who's praying over everything. All of this results 14 generations later in a, a medium talent. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's a really gruesome, also quite a zag from, uh, although there are a few dogs in here, so I guess it's on brand. Because really, if you're looking at this through the dog's perspective, it's like, Wow, these humans, look what they put themselves up to when, when we could just be, you know, appreciating dogs. <laughs> what do you think, Paul? What do you think of Chevy Chase here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, now that I'm looking closely at it, more dogs than I, than I saw the first time, especially this one next to the monk who's, who looks like he's crying. He's howling in distress. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that is a dog. We tend to anthropomorphize dogs. Like, so you'd think that maybe Edwin Lancier meant for this dog to be, like, sad that this tragedy happened. But a dog wouldn't know that. This dog is probably howling, just screaming, what's going on? And then it looks like there's a dog maybe trapped under w one of these elk that have collapsed uh, at the very bottom of the screen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, every time you look at it, there's another dog. As we look at these Landseer paintings, I kind of want to nickname Paul the Dogseer because he's able to spot all these dogs in the painting that, that I couldn't even see. Yeah, yeah, you're the Where's Waldo equivalent to my dog wang. You know, you can find the dogs, I find their dicks. I only move on at a gallery once I'm satisfied there's no more dogs to see. <laughs> Sir, we're closing. Nope, not yet. There's another dog, I know it. <laughs> it can scarcely be supposed that it was merely the exhibition of Chevy Chase which led to Edwin Landseer's election at this time to an associateship of the Royal Academy. So when you're a Royal Academician, you get RA after your name, but if you're an associate of the Royal Academy, you get ARA because there's only 80 spots. There's only 80 spots in the Royal Academy. When someone dies, uh, there's an opening for a new one. So there's a, there's an opening like every every five minutes because back then everyone's dying left, right, center. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, here's an interesting thing, though. The fact is that the honor was anticipated long before and that the election was made almost as a matter of course immediately on his attaining the age of four and twenty, the limit prescribed by the laws of the academy. So he got in to the associateship as early as legally possible. It'd be really funny if he hit 24 and then all of a sudden someone was like, Hey, Professor Hayden, why don't you shoot yourself in the head? We want this guy to get in the academy. Oh, no. oh my God, that's why he did it. No. That's why he did it. 
Dickens was like, uh, I know someone who paints dogs a lot better than you, buddy. Why don't you... Uh, here's a shilling. Go buy yourself a flint lock pistol and a, and a knife in case you can't, can't figure out how to use it. And he's insulted. He's like, how dare you? I'll take the knife, but I won't need it. That's an insult to me. And then cut to him. Oh, fuck. Fuck, I need that knife. Where did I put it? It's under the newspaper. Oh, God. I did. He was right. The year 1830 witnessed the election of Landseer to the full honors of the Academy. And from that date to the end of his long career, there is little for a biographer to do but to chronicle a long and regular catalog of pictures year by year exhibited at the British Institution or else on the walls of the Academy. So they're basically saying there's nothing else to write about the guy. Jeez. So he's just got like 40 years to go in his life. <laughs> <laughs> I think if they wrote his biography today, it would focus on uh, that he had uh, huge mental health problems. This is what they don't say about Edward Landseer. And I don't say this to make fun of mental health, but I do say it to mention that, you know, it's that sort of thing that you would just never mention in the 19th century. You know what I mean? Right. He had a full right. mental breakdown in 1840. That would have put him at 38 years of age. Some people attribute it to the death of his mother, others to his marriage proposal being rejected by Georgiana Russell, the Duchess of Bedford, with whom he had had an affair almost 20 years earlier. She was married at the time. He had an affair with her. And then after her husband died, he proposed marriage. And she refused. That sent him Whoa. into a huge spiral. Because he was just a fuckboy. Yeah. She only liked him as, she's like, you're a side piece, boy. And he's like, what? Come on now. This is going to really send me into a spiral. It sounds like Georgina probably hooked up with uh, Charles Dickens because he screwed over his mentor, Hayden, and she screwed him over. After he had his mental breakdown, some of his works took a darker turn. Here's one called Man Proposes, God Disposes. It's a depiction of polar bears uh, eating the remains of the doomed Franklin expedition. Wow, and it's it's Man Proposes? Yeah. So is this after he's proposed and she was like, sorry, you're, you're a fuckboy, you're not a main course? <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly, that's true. So she's the polar bear. Holy fuck. And there's his heart in the polar bear's mouth right there. See that? Wow. Oh, yeah, it looks like a rib bone to me, but yeah. Look at that. Oh, that's gruesome. Man, I bet old Edwin was great at reunions, you know? Just a barrel of laughs. Good to see you. Did you hear what the Duchess did to me? She said no. Yeah, Edwin, that was 10 years ago. Yeah, I was in love with her, you know, 30 years ago. We used to be hot and heavy. Yeah, yeah, but you were just a fuckboy, right? <laughs> huh? <laughs> you know? We had, a, we had a lot of sex. Yeah. She said I was the best she'd ever had. Right. I cooked for her. I'd make paintings for her. What would you cook for her? Uh, eggs. <laughs> With the year 1851, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Highland sketches occur less frequently. The closing decade of Landseer's artistic career shows but little failing off from the preceding. Many of them will crowd with more or less vividness and freshness on the reader's memory as he peruses this brief biography of him who in his day was deservedly called the Shakespeare of the world of dogs. No. No. 
Oh my god. <laughs> Marty, what are we looking at here? Oh my god. Oh god, I don't even want it. I want to spare the listeners this torment. Basically, it's a big shaggy white dog with a poodle haircut only on the legs. And it's sitting in a red chair with its paw on a book and some spectacles on the book. And all these other dogs are looking at it because it's clearly reading, uh, you know. And one dog's got like some kind of a letter in its mouth because it wants some, you know, it's almost like a, the dogs are in prison and they're going to the one guy who can read and like, read my mail from my family. I got to know what's happening. And this guy's like, oh, I better, better tell him a good story or he might kill me. Uh, anyways, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the guy reads it first, he pre-reads it, and it says, oh, your wife was killed. And the guy goes, oh, man, you know, good news, you know. <laughs> your wife got a new job. <laughs> oh, that's good, you know. This is kind of ahead of its time, you know, because this is the kind of the dogs playing poker of its totally. day. Let's compare. I queued it up just because I knew. Wow. This is Cassius Marcellus Coolidge's Dogs Playing Poker series. So it's not the same guy, but I'm just showing this as comparison. This first one was painted in 1894, so not too long after the series of dog paintings by uh, Edwin Landseer. Yeah, he stole his bit. He kind of did, but maybe more popular. Definitely more yeah. popular. Totally. Less pathos. <laughs> you know, if you want to be popular, you, you got to add less pathos. Uh -huh. or you got to subtract pathos, you know what I mean? Yeah. People don't, people get uncomfortable around pathos. It's true. Have you seen my comedy? No pathos. No pathos at all. <laughs> Absolutely zero. No pathos, the Marty Adams story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're in the home stretch here. It is not our purpose, nor indeed would it be possible, here to enter into any minute and detailed criticism on the works of Landseer. Marty took care of that. His sculptured lions at the foot of the Nelson Column in Trafalgar Square are so well known to the public that we need only allude to them here. Uh, I don't know if you know what they're alluding to, but this is them. Uh, Edwin Landseer was not a sculptor, and yet they asked him to sculpt these four lions that are still sitting at Trafalgar Square in London. They took him nine years to make. He spent four years studying and sketching lions at the London Zoo. He asked for a deadline from the zoo to be sent to his home to, to model, to just to have it so he wouldn't have to make the trip. You just look at it at home. And he still took so long that that lion decomposed in his apartment. And that's why the paws just looked like stumps because he didn't know how what paws looked like as the lion's body had decomposed by then. Oh, what Lord. the fuck? So it wasn't even a stuffed uh, lion or anything? No, it was a real, <laughs> just a... It's a that's, dead corpse. I mean, that's just very bizarre with all the great sculptors out there that I'm, I'm sure were contemporaries of his for them to ask him. Maybe because he was the queen's favorite. They're like, gotta ask Lance here. These are actually iconic, right? So this is the first main big thing that I can actually go, oh, I know those. So I, they're pretty famous. It's true. This is probably the thing he's best known for now. And it, it looks worse than everything else that he that you've shown us. <laughs> So again, you got to take pathos out. Yeah, true. You know, uh -huh. <laughs> the pathos is in the paws. Uh, no, but these paws are terrible. Has the guy must have seen lion's paws before? You think he just literally? Oh, it's sorry, it, it disintegrated. I'm just gonna do what I saw. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna look at any other real paws to, to to figure this out. My understanding is that he modeled them after cat's paws. After, and we know that he knows cat's paws. Well, these cat's paws looked like they got dunked in a fire a few times. 
1850, he received from Her Majesty the honor of knighthood. A few years ago, upon the death of Sir Charles Eastlake, he was offered the presidency of the Royal Academy, but his modesty led him to decline the distinction. The actual truth was he was in no mental state to accept. He was so addicted to uh, drugs and alcohol and depressed. In fact, just a year later, his family had him declared insane. A bit of a downer, I guess, but... Anyways. Was he married or had no, kids or this no. is just his like other family? His sister and his aunt, I believe, looked after him. So there you go. His sister, wow. unmentioned in the book, one of four sisters he had, was his caregiver near the end of his life. In private life, he was one of the most kind and courteous of men and the warmest of friends. And in very many circles, from royalty downwards, people missed with regret his round, merry, genial face, his white hair, and his pleasant smile. The <laughs> end. Wow. <laughs> so depressing. So the, the last 20-something years of his life just not really mentioned. <laughs> I wish we knew more about that Hayden guy. He seemed <laughs> yeah. neat. Yeah, you know? that's the story I want to hear. It sounded deeply difficult, because there is more to know about him. He was an ambitious artist. He made giant paintings, huge paintings, uh, and they would cost more than they could ever recoup in profit. And so when they failed financially, he was so mad about it. He blamed everybody and, and like really upset. <laughs> we know artists like this. And uh, on top of that, he was deeply in debt all the time. He had a gun to his head because he was facing imprisonment for the fifth time for being in debt to people. So couldn't handle his finances. Too ambitious for his own goods. Charles Dickens is writing shade about him. You know, in whatever publication. He was mad. He was an angry, dissatisfied artist who failed his way to the very end. Wow. Well, I think he succeeded in one thing at the end. <laughs> After a try. But it, it, it is odd. It would be interesting to see how his mentorship affected Landseer. Ooh. You yeah. know, like what, what traits, obviously you're not even talking about any mental health things, but, you know, a lot of traits are picked up early in life by people that you kind of look up to. And uh, I wonder what he picked up from Hayden, what dissatisfaction or, or bad habits. True. Perhaps. <laughs> and not, That's a really good point. Not to mention uh, recalling the way his dad taught him, having to miss dinner or your bedtime until you finish uh, your critiques. You could imagine that he set a high bar for himself. He was expected a lot of himself. And when he couldn't complete something, he probably beat himself up because he had become friendly with the royal family. And they had asked him to paint a portrait of the family. And uh, for whatever reason, he couldn't finish it. Marty, he probably got the wangs all wrong. Uh, <laughs> but, but apparently his failure to complete that painting left a severe psychological toll on him. As it would pretty much for anyone, I think. There's not much bigger pressure that you could face as an artist back then than befriending the royal family and then failing them. Yeah. There you go, guys. That's the story of Edwin Landseer. I mean, it's a little glossed over. It really is everything I could find on, on the man. Guys, I know what I'm taking away from, from this story. You know, I think that's obvious. But what are you, what are you guys taking away <laughs> from it? <laughs> yeah, Paul, you go first. All right. There's so much to take away, I think. Oh, man, I wish I thought about this before I read you this story. You know, I'm taking away <laughs> what I usually take away from this is that the real story for me is whatever, you know, wasn't happening on the canvas. 
He was declared insane at the end, which who knows what that meant. They took control of his estate. It would be nice to explore that stuff rather than just be like so embarrassed and ashamed by it that you just don't mention it and say everybody liked him. He was fine. I think we'd be a lot farther down the road in terms of the discussion about mental health if back then we were able to say he had some problems and we, he needed to talk them out. The guy was brokenhearted and he needed help. But uh, there was no help to be given to people like that. They were just sent to an asylum and uh, stuck there. Well, you know what I took away from it? Um, I think what you just said was really intelligent and smart. What I took away from it was this guy couldn't get laid to save his life. He had sex with that one gal once. And then later on, he's like, since we had sex once, will you marry me? She's like, no, God, I don't want to. And... (laughs) Clearly, here's the thing, right? Especially back then, everyone wanted to get married because no one didn't want to be the person who didn't get married. Am I right? And this guy couldn't get married, and he's a famous artist, so he must have been real creepy, you know? (laughs) And then he lives with his sister, and she looks after him. I mean, come on now. Have you ever known people like that who were cool? (laughs) We all know people who were looked after by their siblings or aunts. They are not cool people. And and the mental health aside, that's something I, I, you know, I do feel bad. I do feel bad. But maybe it wasn't mental health. Maybe he just wasn't liked. Maybe he smelled. You know what I mean? He probably smelled. He had a decomposing lion in his living room. Tim? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've gone a long way. When when it's revealed to you that you're nothing more than, you know, a side piece fuckboy, I think there's a lot of avenues that you can go down to help yourself and, and, and minimize the mental health anguish that you're going to feel when, uh, you know, your loved one says, you ain't, nothing, you ain't nothing but a snack and I don't want the meal. Uh, <laughs> anybody, so, anybody bit a fuckboy? I'm not sure I oh, have. Oh, man. First half of my life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, a fuckboy is all in the eyes of the beholder. That's true. That's true. That's true. So One person snack is another main course. (laughs) That's true. You can find Marty on Twitter at TheMartyAdams, and Tim is on Twitter at Tim underscore Baltz, and on Instagram at Tim.Baltz. You can also catch Tim on HBO's The Righteous Gemstones. That is our episode for this week. My thanks again to Marty and Tim for joining me. If you like the show, give it a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find the show on Twitter at FamousDeeds or on Instagram at Famous.Deeds. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BatesBot9000. If you want to support the work I do researching and recording the podcast, you can check out buymeacoffee.com slash famous.deeds. You don't need to sign up for anything. It's just a quick and hassle-free way to support creators all over the internet. This podcast is part of the Sonar Network. Check out thesonarnetwork.com to hear all the cool and funny podcasts offered there. Next episode, he wrote one of history's most famous poems had a terrible love life, and was a huge fan of beheading kings. Learn more than you need to know about John Milton. Until then, I'm Paul Bates. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by The Sonar Network. 